Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcasting Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, we're back to the Nowverse, the now-connected universe. It's now 23, it's November 7th, 2000. And six, I'm Chris Podcasts. With me, as always, more excited about going back to the Nowverse than I am, Nico Vasillo. Nico, how are you today? You know, I'm doing great. I'm just excited to get back to talking about things where there's discourse. Like, there's just, we love Carly Rae, but that just means we love Carly Rae. And that doesn't get as much to talk about. I'm really excited to talk about how pop music is about to change forever at this point in time. Better or worse, you know, but no matter what, we're about to look at some dynamic shifts in the paradigm. Yes, there's a lot going on um, over these next couple of nows, and this is a a pretty big one. Um, and I'm excited to... I'm excited to get beyond this one, I guess. Um, I feel like this episode has a lot of... It's got some big ones. It's got some really big ones. Um, some stuff that doesn't hold up as much as I thought it would, but is still good. And it's got some songs that sound exactly like either better or worse versions of a lot of other songs that came out around this time. Because even though we've kind of talked about how modern pop music today it sounds like everyone in every singer drew a bath, poured a glass of wine, and took some Zans, and like that's the that's the the tone, the mood of all of these songs now. Um, so it's nice to have something upbeat, and that's refreshing and fun. But they all kind of blend together in a lot of ways because from like 2002 to 2008, we just, we just like didn't have a culture as a country. So it's all just kind of a, a mash of sounds that sound the same. But it's an exciting mash of sounds that all sound the same. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's some good ones. I'm a, I'm just such like a, I'm somebody who experiences passion on a really dramatic level. So. For me, the fact that the only way I'm allowed to sing along to the radio right now, unless it's Ariana Grande, is <laughs> singing like I'm kind of bored and singing like I fell asleep. I can talk through all my songs and I can talk about taking drinks. Yeah. That that's everything on the fucking radio is starting to make me furious because, like, I don't know, like, I don't think all music needs to be happy. Please see Tori Amos take a drink. I don't think all music needs to be happy. Please see Janet Jackson's The Velvet Rope. Take a drink. I don't think that there is no version of music that allows for sadness or darkness, but like, what isn't sad or dark or creepy is just super bored. Yeah, uh, that's really how I feel about... I mean, stay tuned in like, what, 45 nows, but, uh, and thus like 75 years. Um, like this Billie Eilish chick, not a fan. You can keep it. Boring. She's like a boring Lana uh, Del Rey, yeah. if that was fucking possible. How do you make Lana Del Rey more boring? Well, and what I find really shocking is, like, I didn't... I I don't care for things about her, to be honest. Like, I, I do have a problem with the fact that she has a song called I Wish You Were Gay. I oh, don't yeah, think it confronts gross. anything about... Yeah, I don't think it confronts anything intellectual. I actually think, if you think about it, it's kind of lowbrow, kind of pandery, and it's it's kind of insulting. And... I understand an entire young generation of gay men stan her, and I just don't get it, but I understand that they do. And I think it's kind of the same way that I have Tori, you know, when I was 
12 hearing the phrase, you think I'm a queer? Well, I think you're a queer. Shit, I think you're a queer, and I've shaved every place that you've been, boy. That's a really like, good line. Like, hearing that when I was, like, you know, nine or 10 was really transformative for me and really helped me come to understand a lot about how art can be confrontational. So I'm not about taking anybody's version of extreme reaction to stimulus in any direction. I'm not here to shit on anybody's exploration of who they are. But I do believe at a certain point we've... So there's this really great line from Superstore where one of the characters kind of continuously, a minor side character, continuously pretends to be an alcoholic. And finally someone turns to her and says, Justine, pretending to be an alcoholic doesn't make you interesting. And that's really where I've found the line in this. One of the things about art is that you need to sell a lifestyle. It's not enough to sell an album anymore, but we need to believe you're at the club. You can't be a musician who sings about getting you know, fucked up every night and then not get fucked up. We don't accept that anymore. Right. And Billie Eilish is like Instagram as a musician. Yeah. So like we, we look for a realistic interpretation of who you are through your music. And I think we're starting to lose sight of, of the truth of things. You know, if your Instagram or your social media represents just your best, Right. Like, I, I don't think of my Instagram as my box set. I think of my Instagram as my greatest hits. So I understand that your Instagram is meant to represent the best of you and create a presentation. And now, if you want my Facebook, you could probably get my, my full albums. And if you know me personally, sit down with me. You'll get a box set every day. But I think one of the things that I'm starting to notice in music right now is dispassion about passionate things is rewarded because dispassion about passionate things is surrounded in beautifully constructed production. And it's almost like the more bored you sound, the more beautiful your production gets. And I wonder if it's the Jessica Simpson thing from 10,000 Nows Ago. You sang Sweetest Sin too well. No one's going to be able to sing along to it on the radio. Re-record it. Uh, and I wonder mm. if maybe that's it. If there's this sense of anyone can do it. But, you know, I don't think that's translating well into art that's going to survive. I'm very comfortable saying you can, because I go to Retro Fitness, which is a fitness place where the radio kind of changes by the age of the people in there and stuff. And people can change okay. the radio station, but it's a lot of 70s. Ooh, that sounds Yeah, awful. it's a lot of 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I mean, it's it's sort of like people who think Fleetwood Mac is classic rock, kind of classic rock. And by way of hair bands, it's, you know, it's Kiss Me Deadly. It's whatever they could get in the package. Okay. And it's weird shit. It's, um, it's nothing from Joshua Tree, but they play... Um, I will follow. So like it's weird you two even and like every now and then mm. they play the Monster Mash. It's the strangest radio station. I keep my headphones on so it doesn't matter. But if I could hijack a radio station at a gym, I might also play Monster Mash, not going to lie. Oh, 100%. And it was on New Year's Day that they played it. I, it's a good troll. 
So that's that's that that or Goodbye Horses is most of what you would hear at the gym. Oh, and, and I could hijack the radio station too. They play Till Tuesday's Voices Carry all the time because that keeps me pumped. So, um, I anyway, uh, when I'm at the gym and I hear all of these hair metal songs, you know, I'm kind of like on some level. I bet my cousin Lisa could tell me who each one of these artists are, but at a certain point. I kind of don't care who the artists are. It is one continuous song. And I think about the the contradiction of success at the time versus retroactive success. I don't remember if it made it in or if it got squeezed out. But we had that discussion about squeeze that time. And right. we talked about yeah. how uh, Tempted is a song that to this day is beloved but at the time, wasn't any kind of hit. So to that, I sort of think about the fact that Tempted was a long-term success that at the time didn't present hugely. Or how there's an entire generation of people who seem to think that Ghost Town DJ's My Boo is called The Running Man. And they do a dumb version of The Running Man to it. But beyond that 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 song still exists when it was not a monster hit at the time. Yes, it was a hit, but like, when people are like, oh yeah, everybody loves This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan, that was such a hit. No, okay, but like, This Is How We Do It was a hit that wasn't Montel Jordan selling out Giant Stadium. He yeah. was never he was never Bruce Springsteen because of This Is How We Do It. And to lose sight of that is to lose sight of the fact that youth culture dictates a unique zeitgeist that doesn't necessarily correlate to anything else. When I hear some of my parents' 60s throwback music, I'm like, yeah, no, this is all the same five white guys doing barbershop quartet, and I can't hear the difference. And I know I said five white guys in the quartet. So I <laughs> can't imagine how people feel listening to my like angry lesbian rock from the 90s or my early aught singer-songwriter rock, I bet everybody's like, no, no, Matt Nathanson is John Mayer, is Howie Day, is Ari Hest, is OAR, is, you know, this nonstop litany of, of yeah, artists that could there. be... Yeah, but, you know, I'll be honest, I can tell you the difference by... I, I, if you just played me some of the notes, I could tell you, oh, nope, nope, that's a John Mayer vocal line. Up to that up mm -hmm. nope, that's a, that's a Howie Day. It's shrill and annoying. That's Jason Mraz. He goes way too high for any human being to do it. And like I could tell you because I'm versed, and I guess this was just a long way of me saying, um, I don't get what's currently going on on the radio. I don't necessarily think I meant to get it, but more yeah. than that, I do think we are at a turning point once again. I believe we are staring at the barrel end of a loaded trigger because music has become devoid of feeling in so many ways. And of course there's still artists out there who are putting every fucking drop of their heart and soul into every single song and every note. But ultimately music has become this homogenized cod piece so that we don't actually see the dick and balls of emotion. And I'm really interested in seeing how that's about to flip. But as you, we are going to jump into the now, and this is a, a little bit of a, a quick diversion and segue in one. There are a few little remnants of our Carly Rae jaunt that we have to just touch on very quickly. It has been a minute since we have recorded together as we did a lot of the Emotion Minute 
at once, not uh, counting the dedicated review, which we did at Kent Cage Club, and that was a blast. Um, Nico, did, did you see Carly Rae live on this tour? Sadly, I did not. I had to come up with a few other things. I've got some big stuff going on for myself, and had to make some decisions, and instead I saw Crazy Ex-Girlfriend live. So cool, I went cool. out and saw a live concert of a TV musical show about mental health. Cool, cool. And we will also, uh, and I, it'll actually be out in, in a way that it's relevant, not like three months later, but we will plug all of those fucking awesome things you've got coming. Stay tuned at the end of this episode to find out how you can support uh, my beautiful friend, Nico. Um, but I also have to say, at 4Push on Twitter, our European correspondent, um, our, our ambassador, our, um, our, our, our fancy lad, our chap. Are you okay? Our, um, what else? Uh, our cunt? Our, our cunt? Like, what else do you call people over there in, in, in Europe? Uh, but anyway, he sent us a Carly Rae March Madness and his final four. See if you can, you can get what his winners were from his final four. Uh, on one side, he had, I didn't just come here to dance against warm blood. And on the other side, he had boy problems and cry. So what do you think he, this is a very different bracket from everybody. I don't know, but that is so, it's so European. <laughs> it is so European because it kind of sounds like the Pet Shop Boys versus Boyzone uh, versus Atomic Kitten. I hope you're listening for Push because I'm pulling out every British thing I've got. You know, I, let's see. One. I bet the final two were Warm Blood versus Cry and it went to Warm Blood. So he actually specifically said in this tweet, I, I'm, it was hard for me to not put warm blood in just to spite you, uh, as he has he uh, he was the producer on our our episode on warm blood. Uh, but he actually his final was I didn't just come here to dance versus cry, and he put cry as the winner. So there's a uh, you can't really go wrong with CRJ. And you know what? Like I, I don't think you can go wrong in general. Something that's been really with with like sharing what you like about music. Something I have found really rewarding is giving somebody an album that like I'm pretty sure they're not gonna be able to recognize anything from just like throwing somebody ass end into a record they can't even imagine and you know just like hey so what's your favorite thing oh i i like edm but i want to hear something really different oh well here's nick drake here's pink moon Mm -hmm. like nothing you listen to but check it and just like getting the reaction from that and i even love when people are like no this was horrible this was the worst 42 minutes anyone's ever done to me, and one time I was held at knife point by a Somali pirate. <laughs> like, I'm even okay with that reaction, because I love hearing people's reaction to art, and understanding that Cry and Warm Blood, which, you know, aren't bubbling over over here, did him good. Like, I love that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Fucking great, man. I've got some songs that I've written that I really don't care for, but other people like them. Psh- me. I think that's kind of the beauty of make that money, CRJ. I can I can get how people who like music, like you know, some of them, someone might say like, oh, I fucking hate pop, I hate country, I hate hip hop, and that's fine. Like, but when when you when you're so narrowed down, right? You're talking about one artist, uh, one artist that you love among all of these people. Um, it's like even it's so relative. Like if you're even talking about the worst song, it's like still a song that you probably at least really enjoy. Uh, and if you're talking about uh, like, for example, I saw her live with, uh, with Joey, um, this past weekend, and her set list, I kind of... My buddy Joey, who I see movies with now? Yes, I heard. I kind of thought her set list sucked. So many songs I never would have picked. 
off of both albums. But it was still a fucking blast because she's a great performer. It was a great show. And her worst songs, not counting stuff from like, you know, uh, Mrs. Bucket or whatever the fuck that album is. She only played one song from before Emotion and you can probably guess what it is. Mrs. Bucket's Baby Bash. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was still a great show. Um, despite the fact that, like, I didn't hear maybe ten of the songs I would have loved to hear. Doesn't matter. Fantastic fucking show. It was amazing. She opened with No Drug Like Me, and it slayed. She closed with Cut to the Feeling, and it slayed. Everything slayed. When we saw her previously, Nico, if you remember, the crowd was, like, gays, hipsters, and then, like, confused dads whose, par- whose like, kids still kind of liked Call Me Maybe from a couple years ago. Yeah, and it was some moms. That last demographic, completely gone now. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure. Yeah, there's no no kids anymore. It was it was very much uh, I I probably I probably say like um 70/30 gay hipsters and it was just it was a fucking absolute blast. Everyone was pounding back bud lights and and uh there was a lot of glitter and a lot of confetti and um yeah, great 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 fucking show. A lot of confetti, a lot of come fuck me. It was a really good time. There was. Did you see that thing I sent you on the Facebooks? Yes. Oh, no, I t- actually, no, sorry. Uh, did you see that thing that I texted you? I'll, I'll explain to our, unless you have it first, I'll read it to our listeners. Um, oh, please read it, please. So this is this is a tweet from uh, at Keely Taylor. Don't know who that is, but shout outs to her or him. I'm at the Carly Rae concert in Philly, and some teen just airdropped me this pic. And it's a picture of Carly from, like, I would say, Call Me Maybe era, with a cursive font that says, that says well-behaved bottoms rarely make history. And if I can be real... You can. That's true. Okay. So if you're a poorly behaved bottom, right. you know how to find me. Yeah, I mean, George Washington was a poorly behaved bottom, and he made history. So there you go. Uh, that is one of my favorite things in the entire world about watching reality shows with my husband. We sit there and go, if he was a bottom, what kind of bottom would he be? Mm. If she was a dom top, what kind of strap-on do you think she'd select? <laughs> like... That's one of our favorite things, mm-hmm. uh, and it's true. We have decided that, like, especially like boring bottoms, like the ones that are like, yeah, fuck me. I'm like, you know, fuck me. Like, you know, Tom Cruise. I feel like that's just what it is. Yeah, on that note, if you ever do find a, a dom top lady, just please give her my phone number. Uh, anyway, on to the nows. Oh my god, we haven't started the now yet. No, we're, t- we're 20 minutes in and we haven't even started the nows. And let's jump right in with... Fergie, London, London Bridge. The Grey Goose got my girl feeling loose. I mean, I'm wishing that I didn't wear these shoes. It's like, or every time I get up on the dude, paparazzi put my business in the news, and I'm like, get up on my face before I turn around and spray your ass with mace. My lips make you want to have a taste. You got that, I got the bass. I think the song is perfect. I'm not cutting in the song. I'm not cutting in the song. I'm just going to cut in myself going <laughs> behind that, and we've got London Bridge done. I, I actually do think it's a tremendous record. I really, 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 really do. And I even want to talk about the humor of it. One of the things I think that we've said is that the thing that Will I Am does the best is stuff that you're not sure you can take seriously. Kind of like Luda, something that we said really positive about Ludacris and Missy Elliott, you know. These artists yeah. who know how to laugh in a song, you know, Jason Mraz actually has a pretty good sense of humor too. He likes to drop his own name 
as uh, like almost like a fictional super celebrity in his own songs in a very tongue-in-cheek way, poking fun mm. at himself and anyone who would do that equivalent. So I think it's really a lot of fun. I think the confrontation of Oh Snap versus Oh Shit in the radio version versus the album version is tremendous. I think we get a really great sense of who Fergie is as a vocalist as well. She shows dynamic range. I regret that there's really? so much... I really do, because I think... I thought she was very... I thought she was a lot more subdued than I expected her to be. Do you know what I love about it? I think it's actually all in the performative... I, I'm comparing her to things I know Fergie can do, and I guess that's part of okay. it. I'm contextualizing this in terms of big girls don't cry Fergie and glamorous Fergie, and I'm hearing the vocal strain she purposely put in. The great goose got your girl feeling loose. Like, I'm hearing yeah. that strain. Yeah, she does do that. But I love it. It's so dramatic, and it's such a, it's such a fucking gay affectation. Like I mean, like gay. Like it's fucking gay. <laughs> like it's for gay people. It's this very drag queen esque. Grey Goose got your girlfriend loose. Like it's, <laughs> it's amazing, and she does it so. Like I've I've been such a big Fergie fan this whole show, and we're finally at her, and. Honestly, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I think The Duchess is one of the best fucking pop records from its time. I think every single on it was amazing. I even love a lot of the album tracks. I, again, regret the amount of input that Will I Am had on every element of her personal career. And it really frustrates me because um, she deserved a chance to shine as Fergie not I almost oh my god I was like she deserves a chance to shine as Fergie I'd pee not the black eyed peas but (laughs) Fergie I'd pee and that's what I would really like for her I think this record kills it I think it's funny I think it put gray goose in the mouth of every drunk white bitch you know I think no one knows what the fuck she says in the bridge Everybody just goes la da 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 But at that point nobody cares. You're just having a good time. You're drinking. Everybody's doing the boom 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 as loud as they can. They're stomping. It's a really good song to play at say a sporting event. It's not sporting event appropriate, but it's a lot of fun in that way that we've said that Will I Am can write a jingle like nobody's business. It's funny that you said uh it's a, it's a sports game song because one place where i will defend the song i don't i don't think i like this song and i don't think it's bad enough to be like, <laughs> i don't think it's bad enough to be like ironically enjoyed either but i do i don't hate it i was looking into reviews of it when it came out at the time and a lot of people compared it to hollow girls which i will defend this song here i think that's i get the comparison but i think it's a really bad and lazy one um because yeah that's that's pretty basic saying that you know, that's implying that Gwen Stefani, the white girl who leapt off the ska train, uh, is the first person to ever put a drum line in their song. And that's so fucking stupid uh, and basic and like a white perspective on it. Um, so, yeah, that that criticism, I think, is really lazy. Like, it's just a song that came out within the next like 18 months that had a drum line. And uh, fuck off with that. That's a really, really piss poor kind of analysis of this song, in my opinion. I agree, because I don't think that it's outside of what Fergie was doing on her own with the Black Eyed Peas. This isn't new ground for her, but it was new ground for Gwen Stefani. So, you know, do your homework and make sure you know who you're crediting. Yes. 
Um, and just to kind of cross over with HTML a little bit here, the director of this music video was one Mark Webb. Does that name sound familiar to you? I'm not mistaken. Wasn't he associated with one of the Spider-Man movies? He did both Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, yes. Yeah, he uh, the, the, the Garfield ones. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Because they're called the web. They're called the web series, and I thought, oh, that's weird. Yes, that doesn't make it any clearer. Oh, that's why. <laughs> Oops. Last question about the song "London London Bridge." Uh, how come every time you come around, my London London Bridge want to come down? What What is that a metaphor for? <laughs> what What is she saying? I don't get well, it. So here's what I'm gonna say. There is a long-standing tradition of pulling from nursery rhymes for hooks and sure yes i think what happened was fergie and will i am got into a room and they called their buddy mike delivers shrooms and (laughs) mike delivers shrooms came through and when mike left one of them saw something about something in london and was like, yo, that reminds me of that song, London Bridge. And they took the lyrics from London Bridge and built this song. And they took the melody from London Bridge and built the following track on the album, Pedestal. Which is, your pedestal is falling down, falling down, falling down. Your pedestal is falling Oof. down. Like, seriously, damn, that's annoying. back-to-back tracks inspired by London Bridge. And I think that's really all you need to know Sometimes you want to know where something came from. Like, I, why do the Bengals want you to walk like an Egyptian other than appropriation? That's fair. Why? That's fair. Why? What exactly is Thriller Thriller Night? Why? 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 Who's really bad? I feel like they got into a room and they were like, all right, let's do a song about blowjays or just giving head in general. And they're like, yes. But we need a metaphor because we can't just sing about giving head. And so they like they were like, well, what about uh, what goes down? Uh, an elevator. Oh, no. Aerosmith did that like 15 years ago. Uh, what else goes down? Uh, planes. Mm, too soon. Uh, what else goes down? Bridget Stock. Stocks. Stocks go down. Oh, I'll work on that. Uh, no, nah, it doesn't quite work. Blowjob the Great Depression. Bridges. Bridges go down. Mm, I like it. I like it. How? And it, I think it just happened from there. Um yeah, it's uh it's a, it's a nonsense goofy song. There there was just a point where as I was listening to it and watching the video, I looked at how much time I had left. I was like, "Jesus Christ, this music video is over 4 minutes." And I was like a minute and a half in. It just it's a very it's a very taxing song to listen to all the way through, I think if you're not entirely on the Fergie train. Fergie is one of those artists for whom if you're not on her train, it's like trying to get people to like Bjork when I try and sit people down and I'm like, hey, check out this Bjork album. And everybody's like, I, I, so you gave me one of the Icelandic ones. And I'm like, no, this is the English ones. And they're like, no, that can't be English. I, no, that can't be English. I heard Reykjavik like six times. And I'm like, no, that's her saying the word regrets and love. And they're like, no, I can't do this. And I'm like, no, you can't do it. It's fine. And that's kind of how I think about Fergie if you're not ready to hear somebody spell the name of a lot of expensive liquors, refer to themselves as driving their own car in third person, 
and mostly write music that could be repeated back by an eight-year-old, but really, really well, then Fergie's not for you. Yeah. You know, speaking of all of those things, and as, you know, we are a pop podcast in general, I guess we'll just very quickly touch on this now. All of those things you just said to describe uh, London Bridge can also be used to describe that terrible, terrible me song by Taylor Swift. She just dropped three new singles and then had her whole, her whole like, uh, I lost all of my songs, question mark, maybe I'm actually lying thing that just happened. Um, no. Did you follow that at all? So here's what I decided. It's going to sound dumb, but like... I've decided that I don't want to focus on people that I don't care for anymore, or at least I want to focus on them one at a time. And so I've decided that Taylor Swift, I don't have time for your antics. That's fine. It's it's pretty worth worthless. Right? Like, I'm like, Taylor Swift, I have already said every appropriate thing about you I have left to say, so I'm going to move on, because there's no good in saying shit that's not worth saying. I'm not going to be like Taylor Swift, when you have bangs, you look like insulting thing here. There's no benefit to it. She looks like that picture from the internet with the cat with a carved out melon on its head. <laughs> if you know the one I'm referring to. Someone out there got that. Um. But I, I, I would never wish her anything bad either. <laughs> As you go down your hit list. I do. Well, I also have been making a lot of Goatsy references lately. I don't know why. Oh, love a good Goatsy. But so what happened? Taylor Swift misplaced her iPod Nano? Yes, and um, some record producer now owns her first six albums or whatever. Wow. Um, you know, like, sucks, man. But then a bunch of uh, then a bunch of people were like, actually, you had a chance to like just pay a small amount for them, and and you pitched a fit, and it was a whole back and forth. And I don't really care. Um, but her new songs have all sucked absolute ass. Between the one that is we're just talking about pandering to the gay community. Wow. 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 Uh, that one, and then that song with uh, the guy who will only refer to himself as his name and the band he was once famous for, uh, Brandon Urie of Panic at the Disco. Um, that song also sucks ass, and they do a bunch of baby shit spelling in that. Um, yeah, you'll see it again in like 17 years when we get to that album. Man, you know what doesn't suck? Nelly Furtado is promiscuous. Promiscuous, yeah. still bangs i don't care what anybody says i literally like number one this song could be on the radio now and it would be fine well that's too too upbeat too upbeat it'd have to be like promiscuous boy you already know you know and then i'm asleep yeah yeah background squeaks for no reason Uh there's the sound of a car breaking and no one's sure why just one theremin in in the left channel only. <laughs> so I think this song does hold up better than the other. Well, you know, we should just do these together. We're going to skip the Pussycat Dolls for a second. And we're going to kind of merge this one with Justin Timberlake's Sexy Back. Because these are both part of the Timbaland experience that occurred from like 2006 to 2008. I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. The motherfuckers don't know how to act. They also both worked together. There was the bridge with um, Give It To Me was the name of the song, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like evidently what what supposedly happened, if you ask 
some of them at random times and not at other times and others of them other t- whatever the fuck the three of them wrote like 200 songs together okay and everybody just sort of agreed to take credit for whatever because they weren't all in a in an appropriate label situation where this was okay so like there are background vocal elements of Justin Timberlake in bits of loose and there's random background vocals of Bailey Furtado in bits of um, Future Sex Love Sounds, and they both appear on everything Timbaland did in that time. And so, like, supposedly, this was one big, very inter interconnected recording session in a very okay. let's make three albums at once kind of way. That said, I don't think Future Sex Love Sound aged well. No, I was going to say, I think the Timbaland sound in general from this era... Um, held up less than I thought it would, but this song is still good, still very good. Um, I have some things to say about it. It's it's a little goofier than I remember, but I think "Sexy Back" is actually a bad song. It's a lazy song more than anything else, and 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 the Timbaland sound sounds the most dated there. Yeah, when "Sexy Back" first appeared, the way that "Sexy Back" was debuted was "Sexy Back" was debuted in pieces. Initially, the lyrics appeared in an issue of Entertainment Weekly, handwritten by Justin Timberlake. And when I saw them, I very legitimately thought they were a joke. Was it just Go Ahead, Be Gone With It, X64? Like, what What the fuck else is in this song? I remember there were a group of us that hung out a lot. It was me, my ex, and our best friend. It was, you know, the two of us shared a best friend at the time. And the three of us listened to Future Sex Love Sounds, Shock Value, and Loose pretty regularly on rotation. And I remember being the one who was in the least camp for Future Sex Love Sounds. And everybody was kind of like, what do you have against this record? And I'm like, it's not that I have anything against this record. But I think the whole record boils down to two sounds. There's this really phenomenal element of gothic R&B. And if you're looking for gothic R&B, gothic R&B is any expression of R&B that relies on kind of like a macabre sound almost. So think... En Vogue all the way through Bond themes. It's really any utilization of R&B to a, that kind of like seventh creepy kind of vibe. I'm just picturing Brian McKnight as the Phantom of the Opera, and I'm kind of into it. I'm aroused from it. And so one of the things that I love about it is it's got that very crunchy vibe to it. And I feel like to give you an idea of the, of the crunchy vibe I'm thinking of, it's the same thing that makes the bridge to me against the music by Madonna and Britney Spears excellent. It's the same thing that makes I Don't Want to Fall in Love by Jane Child brilliant. It's the same thing that makes Summer Love by Justin Timberlake work. But when you really sit down and, and that, that humongousness of this record, this like 90 minutes of the same thing over and over again, it just hits a point where it starts to sound so saccharine. And there's no real vocals to it. I don't know if he can actually sing this. I don't know where the quality is. Yeah, there's no singing. This it, Promiscuous, I think, works. I think the production is good. It's, I actually think his production is worse than it was on Are You That Somebody 10 fucking years before this. But regardless of that, I think Promiscuous is the better song. I think it sounds better. And we will touch on that song a little bit more right after we finish burying Sexy Back, I guess. Um, but that song sounds like a song that would be in the club. Sexy Back 
sounds like the song that's playing in the club, but you're out in the alley having a smoke, so you can only hear the song really muffled and distorted. And that's like what Sexy Back sounds like from a um, a production standpoint. Like, why is Justin Timberlake's voice covered in distortion? Like, wh- what what decision? Who did that? Why? Yeah, it's and what's 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 even more interesting is I kind of have to wonder. I have to wonder where that decision came in. One of the things that I've discovered, I'm entering a really different phase in my songwriting career, and it's been really exciting. But I've been forced to make multiple versions of every song multiple times. And that's been a lot of fun. But what it's also done is forced me to confront how different a song can become with you know, a change of a beat. If the song works with a straight 4-4 count hitting on the 1 and the 3, great. If the song can handle a weird kind of calypso beat in an off time, hey, that's a totally different version of the same song. I have to wonder how much technology played into the construction of the ideas in Sexy Back and most of Future Sex Love Sounds, because I can say with some comfortable certainty that the songs on Loose really, no matter how electronic and danceable they become, are derived from a really instrumental place. They really hinge on Nelly Furtado's songwriting style, her love of chord form and melody. But outside of the production and the technology and the idea of new, Future Sex Love Sounds doesn't sound like anything. <sighs> yeah, well, it sounded like something for the time. But that's a sound that really doesn't hold up super well, honestly. And I, it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about Linkin Park having albums that line up, you know, R.I.P. Chester, mm-hmm. Forever, you, you know, your voice was beautiful. But if you line up Hybrid Theory and Meteora, like, they're almost track for track the same, down to, like, having um, Numb be crawling, and there was just so much overlap where they, they really were sonically so similar. And... I feel like Justin Timberlake got some really good feedback on, was it Crimea River that was on the first record? That's what I, w- I would have guessed you were thinking of, yeah. And he got some really good feedback on Rock Your Body. Rock Your Body, yeah. Uh-huh. And he fused it into one big thing that he made for a full album. He made what he got. It's almost that Coldplay thing where we've said Parachutes sounds like... But Rock Your Body, he's... Rock Your Body, he's showing off his his range, though. Rock Your Body, he's showing off his range. He's going high. This, he's basically, like, mumble rapping. He was ahead of his time in the worst way. But, oh, 100%. But I think I more mean, like, the, the sonic structure of Rock Your Body. He took the elements he liked from the successful bits of Justified, which, fuck you, no one should ever name an album anything that punny, and... He I, I like it. tried to extrapolate a record from it, and I think he filled in the gaps. With, like, there's, I finally sat down and watched, oh, what was the name of that, that Andy Samberg movie? The mockumentary one. Popstar? Yeah, I finally sat down and watched Popstar, and I genuinely liked it a lot. I mean, Andy Samberg is probably my favorite comedian at this point, I think. He's very funny. It's very good. It's very and good the movie. music is brilliant, and the music does everything it's supposed to do. I think the music is better than the film is, and that is ultimately, I think, Andy Samberg's folly usually. He has a lot more spirit than oftentimes the medium he is limited to can help him execute. 
if Andy Samberg was given a 30-minute movie for everything, he could do everything he dreams of, but he's often limited by, you know, six minutes. But well, I mean, he did just do a 30-minute short musical about Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire in the early 90s, so... Oh, no, trust me. Oh, trust me. He said, who are we doing this for? Ourselves. And I'm like, no, you did it for me. Yeah. I, without getting too into it, I'm workshopping an opera this fall, and I'm more excited than I could be about anything. I wrote an opera. It's about magic and fireflies, and it's ridiculous. But I've written an opera, and I'm very excited to workshop it this fall. And I I keep thinking to myself, who have I written this for? I've written this for me. And then I think about their little musical, and I, I think, who have they written this for? They've written this for me. So... I, I'm really in a place where I'm like, let me observe other people I love doing the thing I love doing. So yeah, no, trust me, I'm all over that thing. So excited. Well, it's just like that uh, that fucking shit-ass piss article that came out in the New York Times about podcasting, where it was like, uh, are there too many podcasts? And like, yes, the answer is yes. But they focused on this like, I don't know, like 27-year-old, like cliched Brooklynite trust fund. Her mother probably writes for the fucking op-ed of the New York Times or some bullshit. And she was like, yeah, the whole article was like they did an advice podcast and they did five episodes and couldn't get a sponsor. So they quit. Are there too many podcasts? It's like, fuck you, dude. We like if you first off, if you're going into a podcast to make money, you're as dumb as someone who goes into music to make money or like starts a band to make money. Like you're as stupid as somebody going into YouTube to get a million followers for giving yeah. bento box responses. Or going on Twitch to stream yourself playing fucking Resident Evil 2. It's like, you're going to do, do the stuff that you would do if no one was watching. Like, we would be having these stupid... Maybe it wouldn't be as structured, but we would all be having these stupid fucking conversations. It's just now we can have some fun with it, and, like, five people can interact with us, and that's a blast. And it's fun. If one person listens to it, I'm thrilled. Like, if you are doing the shit with that being the only goal, you're done fucked up. Also, how did we get onto this? You know, I'm not... I'm really not sure... Fuck it. Um, Promiscuous is a really good song that has some kind of dated references and obviously dated production, but still really fucking slaps. And if you would have told me in 2001 that Nelly Furtado, of all people, would be making some of the best pop music of five years from then, I would have laughed in your face. But she did it. Yeah. He sure... He sure... They sure did it. Cause, and I say they because it's got to be Timbaland, Nelly, and Justin. It was a movement. Sure, sure. Um, but can, can we hop on over? I want to talk kind of funny. I saw both Pussycat Dolls and Christina Aguilera in concert the same night. Oh, you want to do that as a combo? Wait, do we also want to talk about when we saw Nelly Furtado or should we save that for another? I'm sure she'll come back. Oh, oh, uh, she definitely does. I think she comes back with Say It Right, but we saw Nelly Furtado. She played at Starland Ballroom and I just want to say we got there early enough that we literally watched the entire show pushed against the barricade. Yeah, so what happened? She was doing like a, um, it's kind of the same way I saw Gaga at a smaller venue. I mean, that smaller venue was fucking Radio City, but she was going to MSG. But Nelly Furtado was also going to play MSG. But she, maybe, maybe for, Nelly, did she play the, the theater at MSG or did she play MSG, MSG? Yeah, she played theater. She did theater at MSG. Okay, that, that makes sense. We saw her, it was like a last minute edition uh, at Starland Ballroom, which is in the town we grew up in. It's a, it's a concert venue, It's but it's like smaller than, Terminal 5 or the Fillmore or, you know, uh, 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 930 Club. I'm just trying to, like, name, like, mid, mid-high-sized mid venues in cities. Fire, It's probably, like, the side of the fireside, maybe. Uh, maybe a little smaller than that. But it was, like, a last-minute thing. And it was clearly, like, a, a, a test run for the MSG shows. 
just you know getting through all the the sound stuff the tech stuff obviously you have the big stage stuff but uh it's, it's pretty much a dry run for it and it was a i think it was a pretty last minute announcement and yeah we got a bunch of tickets and it whipped it whipped ass no one was there oh my god it's it was one of the best shows we had ever done i mean yeah like, i've ever seen i mean like uh God, who was her opening act again? Kenna, who I still Not love. So- Socrates. What? Who is it? It was Kenna. Kenna, uh, yes. And I feel like somebody opened even before that, like someone named Socrates, but... It was, yeah, it was whoever, I forget if it was her or Kenna's actual, like, the DJ who was part of the act. Yeah, it was It was just great, and as, like, a big Nelly Furtado fan going back to... You know, like not quite Nell Star days, but definitely very early Wo Nelly and folklore. It was really rewarding because she played a loose set, but she made sure to hit like Forza, which was just so great because she yeah. did it like a big celebration of the fact that, you know, it was a song that was a World Cup song. You know, it, yep. it's meant to be a celebration of football, and that was really exciting. And I honestly do believe that Nelly Furtado's willingness to discuss her Portuguese heritage and also explore Spanish heritage in her music. I think that really did help me get in touch with my Latino heritage. And I really am grateful to her. I think she is one, uh, she's just such a fucking incredible songwriter. I'll be honest. She's got a very nasal voice, which throws people off a bit. But I, I think the woman, her B-sides in my mind are better than a lot of people's biggest hits. I don't understand how she's not more successful, but then again, I don't understand how a lot of people aren't more successful. So the fuck I know. Well, yeah, we have a Carly Rae Jepsen podcast, so there you go. Okay, so I, we will get back to Nelly Furtado. We love that album. Um, loose, loose as a whole, I, I would say, holds up better than a lot of the stuff from this time. But you can kind of still tell it's of its time. Um, so yes, you saw the Pussycat Dolls and Justin, and not Justin Timberlake, uh, Pussycat Dolls and Christina Aguilera together in one concert. Go ahead. Tell us all about that. And Danity Kane. So once again, a group of three friends that, that was part of that whole, you know, listening to Nelly Furtado group that I was mentioning earlier, we all went to go see Christina together because we were all big Christina fans. And so... Wait, was Danny Kane a, a reality show band? Yeah, they're the making the band okay. band that's not O-Town or Da Band. Okay. So <clears throat> they – so here's it's, – it's such a funny story. And you know what? I'm just going to tell the honest truth. We bought tickets for he and I as like a date weekend. Like we were going to go to AC and we were going to do it with the two of us. And we were going to, you know, see if there was like – something to rekindle and we were really excited and when we said that we got Christina Aguilera tickets she automatically assumed we got her one as well so she started crying oh. from happiness that she got Christina tickets so oh, we no. had to be like no and she was like oh and then she was heartbroken so then we got her a ticket oh. but it was nowhere near us oh no so I sat by myself. I hate I hate this story so much. I but like if I can tell you Oh my so god. So I've misled this whole thing this whole time. We were under the impression that the third seat was in the worst tier and was was a horrible seat because of the price and the location. No, no, no. It yeah. was 40 rows closer, slightly obstructed by a pole. 
yep, that's how I got really great Gaga seats. It was like, you might be obstructed. And we were like, fuck it. And then there was, we were like on the second bal- second row balcony. I always take the possible obstruction seats unless, unless it's a baseball game. Yes. And I'm, like, go on the website and just take a fucking look. Like, it's worth it to take the look. And uh, so I got to see it way closer than everybody else. But we all kind of agreed that everybody would sit in the other seat once one person. So the boyfriend was going to sit by himself for Danity Kane because he and I didn't really care about ah. Danity Kane. Then the best friend was going to sit by herself for Pussycat Dolls so me and the boyfriend could watch Pussycat Dolls together. And then I was going to sit by myself for Christina. But they decided that we would just rather stand the three of us in front of our two seats. Finally, somebody bitched, mm. so we had to go. So I moved to the one random seat, and I was like, yeah. So I went, like, upstairs, and they were like, no, no, go down. And I was like, what do you mean go down? And they were like, bottom floor, bottom tier, all the way down, all the way down. Go all the way down. And I was like, oh, my God. So uh, <laughs> I saw Pussycat Dolls. So far back that I'm not sure if they were Danity Kane. And I saw Christina Aguilera so up close. I watched her chin warble as she did the (laughs) kind of singing style that like she and Whitney Houston have that thing where they make their jaw drop at that weird tremor. Don't know how they do it, but oh God, I could see her do it. Yeah, where she runs, she does more runs than a sprinter. Right? No, yeah, it's some sort of funny um, uh, cholera joke. More runs than cholera. So I... <sighs> that one's way better than mine. Right? So I feel like I have a really positive memory about this, but number one, I actually love Buttons because Buttons is another song where there's an enormous sense of humor to the sexuality that makes it work. First of all, Nicole Scherringer much like Bruno Mars, has benefited from a a general non-white look. Whatever that means, it translates into never being called out on appropriation. Ever. Now, Bruno Mars is in no way black. At all. But we don't call him... I have no idea. I I believe you. But we don't call him out on any of his kind of appropriative R&B behaviors because he's just not white, and so it's okay. So this is one of Nicole Scherringer's many songs that reference Middle Eastern culture rhythmically, musically, sonically, in one way or another. And she just doesn't get called out on it because, number one, one of the Pussycat Dolls is is also not white, like she is. And I believe it's actually that Nicole Scherringer is Hawaiian. Okay. And grew up on the Isle of Hawaii. Or one of the many Isles of Hawaii. And she... So, <clears throat> okay. To that end. Yes. Anybody uh, else you recording are, this you song? You are correct. WikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiWikiW
because media was just getting worried. So, what am I getting at with this song? I think I actually I kind of wanted I want to disagree with you really quickly here. No, go for um, it. Um, not necessarily disagree with you, but contextualize it because we're in 2006 here. Now, Nipplegate was about you know, won't somebody please think of the children? They saw a nip. And now they're going to start doing drugs and fucking in the streets. You know, you know, your, your Reverend Lovejoy's, Lovejoy's wife's kind of um, perspective on that bullshit. Your, your Flanders-esque kind of vision of seeing a nip on TV. Um, but honestly, in 2006, I don't think people were getting really called out on appropriation. I think enough people were. Like Eminem was, for certain. Not in any kind of way that it was, you know, no one was getting hashtag canceled. People were doing – when people just did blackface at college parties, just like, oh, guys, you, you know better than that. Don't don't go doing that again. We're going to have to suspend Greek life. Like it wasn't – maybe because the internet wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. But I, I feel like you got away with that stuff way easier before like uh, – definitely in any of the Bush years. But even 2008, 2010 feels like you could still skate by with some of that shit. Absolutely, but I think there was a growing undercurrent. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right. And I want to make a weird... Oh, no, no. I definitely would never think... I mean, you know, you were far woker than me, far wokey-ationed earlier in the wokenating. But, like, one of the things that definitely comes to mind... God, that makes me sound like a dweeb. What? No, it's just... I don't don't feel like I, I, I could ever be woke, and it feels weird to even be slightly referred to in that way. Well, I'm proud of you, little straighty. But little white straighty, but I brought this up on another podcast, so I kind of feel like I'm double dipping. But and it's a weird reference to make. But so Jonah, Kevo, and I have been rewatching Project Runway from the beginning. I love Project Runway. I think because I love the idea of here's your inspiration, create art. This art doesn't necessarily reflect who you are. It's not your personal line. We are not asking you to sign your name and sell this. It, we are asking you to create an assignment. It's like getting to watch a final art project every week from really talented, top-of-the-line artists. And I really genuinely love the idea of fashion as conversation. I love dis- debating editorial versus wearable. I love all of that. That's so much my aesthetic, and it's so much what I love. So that Jonah and Kevo were open to and eager to watch Project Runway from the beginning, Kevo having already seen a number of seasons... And I'm a really big Christian Siriano fan. Speaking of woke, Christian Siriano was famous for his catchphrase, tranny, oh, okay. during his season of Project Runway, which was to contextualize 2008. And he became famous for his phrase, tranny. And when he was confronted with it the first time, he was like, it's just a phrase, get over it. And the second time he was confronted with it, he was like, wait, are you telling me I've hurt people? And people were like, yes, you're making that turn. He literally would say the phrase, you're a tranny mess. Mm, Okay. And he hasn't just apologized. He has apologized and worked to correct it. Christian Siriano was a brilliant child prodigy when he was on Project Runway. And I've spent the last 15 years watching him grow into a multimillionaire successful designer And, like, I honestly do feel connected to him in some ways. Like, I've watched him come up, and I've supported him, and I've purchased his items. So, like, my sisters wear Christian Siriano's shoes. Like, I I do feel a connection. So when I heard that he was hosting Project Runway as Season 17's mentor, having been a former winner, 
I had to watch it. Like, I, I literally had to watch it. And Kevo and Jonah enjoyed it enough that we went back to the beginning. And in the second season, which is, I believe, 2005, there is a challenge in which the makers of Barbie, Mattel, asked them to design a Mycene Barbie, which is, like, you know, design a design a cool, very hip Barbie look. And Andre, one of the designers, had a beautiful model who was gifted and gorgeous with more melanin than the average model would be allowed to have. But that also meant she had the most beautiful natural black hair you've ever seen. This is like Diana Ross at her height, beautiful black hair. And the judges said to him, why didn't you take advantage of the fact that we made blonde wigs available to you? And he said, because I have a beautiful black model and I would never dream of covering her hair with white hair. And they said to him, well, see, the fact that it's like black hair is distracting me. So lighten up. It's just fashion. Hmm. And I was gut-wrenched. to No! Everyone agreed with the judge that said it. Everyone. And so poor Andre, poor Andre is standing up there going, I completely disagree with you. I could not disagree more with you. He, everything but says to Nina Garcia, who is like my favorite person, like in fashion, I I worship Nina Garcia. Like, I I think she's the greatest thing that ever happened. She's a, a, a Latina who brought herself up from nothing and broke into the fashion industry. And she's been fashion editor for Elle. She's editor in chief of Vogue. I, I worship this woman. So when she was like, get over it, it's just a blonde wig. I just wanted to like scream. And here's this man, this queer, not exactly sure his ethnic breakdown, but he seems to have a a heavier complexion than your average buttermilk white guy. And he's fighting for this woman's right to be black and I, I'm just, like, so disheartened that I never saw it as the insidious moment of whitewashing that it was. And the fact that the editors didn't know in 2005 to edit it as though that... Oh, that was 2005. Okay. There you go. I, kind of, I, think, I thought that was the recent season. No, no, no. This was 2005. So now, in the recent season, there's a... Oh, one of the models, Mimi, such a, uh, she's a beautiful woman and she's the first ever trans model on the show. And she makes it incredibly far in the model portion of the competition. And the show now would never, ever, ever, ever deign to talk like that. In fact, they even show some behind the scenes stuff where they kind of refer to a, a fuller figure model with some, they, they do not call her fat. Ever. That is not what happens. But they definitely make some statements about how it's harder to have the fuller model. Meanwhile, in the current season, the one that just ended, one of the designers was very clearly uncomfortable designing for a full-figured model. And that's why they lose. Because when they find out that this person has a problem with full-figured models, every member of the production team works to destroy this person. Because... Now, that would never be allowed. And it's just such a confrontation of what I believe and what I've always believed and how I've had, I still have so much further to go. And it forces me to kind of think about some things that I've overlooked. 
even just from a um not that I'm not that I'm diminishing the angle, but like even just from a non kind of social justice uh, aware of your fellow humankind angle, like it kind of shows that you can't adapt under pressure and maybe you're not the best at this job on this competition show. Can they, oh, no, absolutely. Oh, you mean, te- yeah, 100%. People really were like, if you can't design for close to the average woman, you literally don't belong here. Right, yeah. I mean, that's always the thing. The first three weeks usually get rid of the people who lack technical skill, but it's so much harder to get rid of people who lack, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? A heart. Humanism? Okay, here. This has been Project Runway Cast. So, um, I think this is a pop music pop, right? Like, uh, wait, so... Buttons good, ain't no other man. It is really, really good. Yeah. It's and you know what? Like that whole record is that good. That whole record is that good. Top to bottom, the whole record is that good. And I, I really need to sell it like that because she said I'm going to have an ideal she wanted to never be accused of what Britney was accused of you know finally I get to talk about Christina finally fucking Lee oh I finally get to talk about Christina yeah let's can we put this out there we, we've had her in omissions but this is her first official entry into the now canon yeah and it's been killing me insane insane and that was one of the things that came up that that's why I did part of the numbers game that I did uh, for that episode so one of the things that we've talked about is that Britney Spears managed to churn out three records in the time that Christina Aguilera turned out one. And that's got to be relevant because one of the things is that Britney Spears was accused of making very generic, very same, same records. Christina didn't want that. So while Britney was just pushing the envelope a little bit further sexually, Christina was trying to confront her parents' divorce and... You know, when you think about Stripped, the, the songs that come to mind are sure Dirty, which I, I don't disagree with you. Dirty should come to mind. Can't hold this down. Should come to mind. But the voice within, when there's no one else, look inside yourself and learn to trust the voice within. And it's this big operatic number. And she has her black hair in the video. And it's a single shot. And she just walks. And it's focused on her. And it's about art. It's not about Christina Aguilera showing a titty. It's about Christina Aguilera showing decency. And it's a really interesting thing. Christina said, I don't want to be an artist who gets accused of making the same record over and over again early in her career. So the first record she had no control over. She hates it, but she still wins the Best New Artist Grammy. The second record, after the Spanish language record, after the Holiday album, after the remix record, after the three re-records of her regular record, after the... Uh, demo album that got released after the tour DVD. Find a fucking Lee. Christina Aguilera gets to release a true second album. She releases Stripped. It's miraculously different than anything Britney Spears could have ever hoped to record. And really, that's what Christina wanted. It turns out a number of hits like Beautiful, and that changes everything for her. So finally, after an extended period of time away, she releases Back to Basics. Back to Basics is this incredible throwback record, and once again features collaborative songwriting from Linda Perry, who wrote Beautiful and is best known for her collaborations with Pink and as one of Four Non Blondes singing What's Up. So I think one of the things that's really important is that this record isn't just different than her other records. It's different in a unique way. It's almost an apex for her creativity. I think that the record 
is a little masturbatory. It's a double disc that definitely does not need to be a double disc. And it, there was a really big push at this time to make these incredibly long records. I mean, I think starting in like 2002 and running through 2000, and I want to say like 15 maybe, was this era of make the longest record you can to give your fans the most you can for the dollar. And it maybe was born of the fact that at that point, every album was 35 songs. And like, I'm sorry, I don't really believe people when they say, nope, I wrote 10 songs. No, fuck you! Fuck you that you wrote 10 songs because I don't know any label that yeah. accepts less than 20. Like, and maybe you are that talented and your first 10 were amazing, but I can't imagine a label not saying, give me 10 more. Maybe you wrote 10 and you fake wrote 10. When Alan Davis designed what is known as the Captain Britain costume from the redesign for Alan Moore's run, he did, well, at the time, Paul Neary's, he designed a costume that he knew was going to be the one, <clears throat> and then he designed two fake ones because he knew he wanted it to be this one, and he needed two to pad it so that they'd pick the one. No twist. They weren't like, oh, we love this one where he's got a giant dick coming out of his helmet. No, they actually rejected the giant dick one because they're British and it was cut and they didn't know what to do with that. So uh, yeah. the thing that makes this album so good for Christina is it's the only time I can think of that Christina makes fun art to make fun art. She makes pained art to make pained art on Stripped and that's powerful and it's epic but this is the first time christina aguilera has fun on a record unfortunately the follow-up to this is for my money an enormous miss i will never forgive bionic it's not like christina aguilera should be flogged at such a bad album but it is a mess of a record and it's a mess of a record from the beginning Bionic, so damn bionic. Gonna hit you with my electronic supersonic rocket. A. So. No, thank you. No, thank you. And it's the first time that she really missed the mark. It had Not Myself Tonight, which made no fans for her. And it's unfortunate because by the time we're getting Christina Aguilera here, we're getting Christina just in time to lose that bloom on the roads. So, for my money, I'm frustrated that this is her first inclusion. And yet it feels like it's close to her last really Christina inclusion. There's that thing that happens to all artists. Like, I don't know what happened, but once upon a time, Maroon 5 had a sound. Now they just sort of sound like the radio. And I don't know if it's because the radio sounds like Maroon 5, but this is not what Maroon 5 sounded like when they started. And they should evolve. Evolution is necessary. But it's weird how evolution seems to be about homogenization. And... These days, yeah. Uh, always, actually. Like, thinking back, I I remember that Don Henley was in The Eagles, and then I remember Don Henley's later solo work. You know, then the, for every Don Henley, there's a Peter Gabriel who gets continuously weirder. I was just thinking that. Peter yeah. Gabriel's whole shit is getting weirder. I was literally thinking of Peter Gabriel. Eh? But Peter yeah. Gabriel's whole shit is getting weird. With, with, with Christina this late, it's kind of like, um, you know, as, as a fan of a, uh, of a football team that... Um, I will definitely die before they, they win anything. It's it's kind of like getting a star player, like in free agency, but the guy was a star player five years ago, and you're getting the version of him that's just like, no, but like, he's going to bounce back. He's going to turn around. Like, we, we got it now. And this is like, no, you actually kind of did get the old version of it. And it's just like, it's a letdown. 
that we got it just a little a little too late. Yeah, it it's that. Yeah, yeah. I I don't even want to put another metaphor to it. That's exactly what it is. It's a little too late. Oh my god, I never made the pop star metaphor before. Holy shit! The reason I brought up pop star before because oh. it the way that he has that like tragic fall is so like you see it coming from the beginning of the film. It's just such an eye roll. I don't remember where that came up. What were we discussing? I don't remember, but... Who even knows anymore? Who knows anymore? Um, maybe it was Fergie or... I, I want to say one more thing about the song, because I, I think there's uh, an interesting songwriting production note to this song. Um, it's got that kind of um, big band horn kind of... Uh, I don't want to call it like a doo-wop sound, but I, I don't know what the, what the genre from that era big band like what what exactly i would call that it's big band yeah okay so it is big band all right and this is a mark ronson production uh and he's about i don't know a year and a half two years from working with amy winehouse so this i feel like the seeds were almost kind of planted here it's it's just interesting to know what he's going to go on to do in the context of this song absolutely i love that every time i listen to rump shaker and i think you are 15 years from drop it like it's hot (laughs) And, um, so we are so over time right now, but, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, and you know what's really funny? Like, uh, in the opera that I'm subtly mentioning again, I use a lot of big band style horn, and I wonder if it's some combination of this and the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy by Bette Midler that really imprinted on me. I mean, please don't sit under the apple tree with anybody else but me. It's actually because on that uh, dedicated review episode, uh, all I did was talk about how there needed to be more horn. And I think that inceptioned into your brain. And, and now there's... In the past. Always always need more horn, yes. Um, so I, we, we are so over, but I feel like we could like do a, at least like four of the next five songs can be a sprint, I feel like. We're at 115. Do you think we can lightning round this a little bit? Yeah, I think Deja Vu is a really forgettable Beyonce-Jay-Z collaboration. And I think when one of their collaborations is Blue Ivy... You're likely to have some <laughs> collaborations that aren't as fantastic as their gorgeous child. It's just a song. It's a song that I'm glad this incredibly successful, happily married black couple share. Yeah. But I don't know that I give a shit about this song. Real, real ironic to call it deja vu because it sounds like a fucking failed clone of Crazy in Love. Beyonce will always elevate songs that she's in, I think. I think that's one of her... Um, not that she needs to do it anymore, but at the time, I think she can elevate any song and she crushes the bridge in this song. Uh, but at, at the same time, eh, it's, it's just, we've, we've, we've done this dance before a couple of times. Uh, I don't need it again. The, the weird thing is in the video, Beyonce and Jay-Z have no fucking chemistry whatsoever, uh, which is just a, a weird note to what they would eventually become. I think they are already at this point. Are like, they? Okay, well then, well, there you go. Yeah, no chemistry in the video whatsoever. Yeah, and you know, you said that Beyonce automatically elevates any song she's on. I'm going to give a weird spin back. I think Beyonce doesn't necessarily elevate everything, but I think at the very worst you are getting from Beyonce, you are getting a phenomenally competent performance, even if it's one you don't love. And the worst you can say about a Beyonce performance that isn't amazing is... It happily keeps you going to the next part, right? And I feel like the exact same thing can be said about Jay-Z's worst day. You know, like Beyonce's worst day and Jay-Z's worst day, they both are at least expertly bringing you to the next part of the song. 
but when it's both of their worst day and they're both just getting you to the next part of the song, it's a boring fucking song. It is, yeah. Yeah, Beyonce always brings it. Um, it's, uh, again, again, for the Cage Club Connected Universe, I was, I was talking about this with someone recently. Nick Cage may be in shit. Like, you may have him for one day and you're paying him most of the movie's budget because you're on some fucking C-level direct-to-Netflix video and you've got him for one day and but he's going to fucking bring it no matter what that movie is. He might make insane acting decisions, but he is going to bring it as opposed to like modern Michael Caine who's like, well, my acting decision is that my character never never stands up. I'm going to need a chair for the next three hours. I'm not standing up. I, I need you to know that what I don't know, like I'm trying to find a way to express this. The very s- how bad that accent was? No, no. How how subtle? Oh, okay. And wonderful that accent was. <laughs> it was real, real subtle, real, real subtle, and real, real wonderful. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. I'm Henry the Ace. I am, and I want cake and tea, and have sex with the horse. And I feel like I maybe don't do a British impression for a good reason. Why do we fall down, Master Beyonce? Um, so, Cherish, do it to it. Uh, I had never heard of this song, and there's... Maybe don't reference better songs in your song. So Yeah, I'd, ne- I'd never heard of it. Yeah, and I don't... You don't. They reference the Whisper song, uh, Lean With It, Rock With It, and Snap Your Fingers, and uh, I'd rather listen to any of those songs over this one. Next. Next is Kellis Bossy. I like this song a lot. I love screaming Khalees lyrics. I uh, oh, it's Khalees. I've always called her Kellis. Shit. This song's um, fucking. This song's fucking crazy good. This song. I've always loved this song. This song is so fucking good. It's a different sound for the time. It's it's her first single in three years, which is since Milkshake. So like she is back with a vengeance. Honestly, like, that is that's a stretch between them, but that's two fucking awesome tracks. And I feel like this kind of predicted. They didn't predict, but like it's ahead of its time because if you. If you went out with the song, right? If you like took this song, we're like, we're going to the club tonight, Bossy featuring Too Short, and it mixed uppers and downers, you would have a Cardi B song. But also like, if you went out to the club with this and it like drank too many Long Island iced teas and was trying to fight with the bouncer and was like, you're just lucky like my boyfriend's holding me back. Like it would be uh, Iggy Azalea's uh, Fancy. Like, so like this, I feel like there's, there's, this song is way more influential than anyone has ever given it credit for. Caught in me, and I like this song. That was the best Cardi B impression you've ever heard. Um, sure, yes, it was. Oh, he blows past it. It totally was. It definitely was. Uh, I mean, you didn't completely shit on my shitty Michael Caine, so yes, it was a very good Cardi B impression. I actually loved it. I really did. I thought that was like. I'm not sure I've ever heard Cardi B talk. I'm not going to lie. Um, she was on Project Runway. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. More reasons why I have not heard her talk. Yeah, that's all. Uh, go back and listen to Bossy. It's, I think it's a sleeper hit of this now. Honestly, like looking what's coming ahead. I appreciate that you're being bossy about Bossy. I think it's a top three song on this now. Maybe four. Nah, I'd put a top three. All right. And uh, you know what? Chingy's pulling me back. Real forgettable. Um, this is so long. I, I looked it up. This is very, very distant uh, from right there in Holiday Inn. Like, 
his expiration date. Oh God, we left this milk in the back of the fridge. We got we got to throw this out. Who's gonna Who's gonna grab it? Oh God, it's a solid. Oh, oh don't dump it in the sink. No, no, take it right outside. Yeah, Chingy, you're way you're way past the expiration date. If you was my baby. Uh, and what, do you think we can get we can go through this life Jennings song because uh you know what I think it's good. This song is fucking gross. Really? The lyrics of this song are about grooming. They're about grooming a seventeen-year-old that you want to fuck. Oh, I definitely didn't pay attention to the lyrics. I just like the oh no. Oh, buddy. Um, oh no! I put it on in the background and walked away. Oh no. Okay. Um. So we're please gonna cut go where to... I said it's good. Please cut where no. I said it's good. Absolutely oh. not. It's got a beat. I mean, great. So great. I'm never gonna be able to run for president. The. <laughs> This is the thing that stops you from running for president. Also, look who's the fucking president. These days ain't nothing mattering. That's true. That's true. It's not going to be all of my many, many dick pics. Yeah, but there was that great old Onion article. It was like um, like 17-year-olds or every every 2040 candidate disqualified because of their Facebook. Like, no, now some of that is, is even better. Now some of that makes you run for president. More people will vote for you because of that racist meme you shared when you were 17. These nuts is going to be able to run. Yes, D- uh, Marianne Williamson, these nuts, twenty twenty. So there's a uh, the bridge is a girl who's basically saying like men are trash. They will just try to fuck you. Uh, little lyric here: Hold on to your innocence. Use your common sense. You're worth waiting on. Uh, be strong, honey. Don't give in. Blessings come patient. Till we meet again, I pray for you. So that's in the middle of the song. But that's because what's around it is lyrics like, "Life's a trip. Heard you just turned seventeen and finally got some hips. Hustlers on the bo- hustlers on the block go crazy when you lick your lips." But they just want relation. They don't want relationships. It ain't the same. Fellas old enough to be a daddy know your name. Everybody's talking about how much that girl done changed. Can't quite put your finger on it, but you're feeling strange. Girl, it's your sex. Mama's secret. And daddy gone, uh, daddy gonna go crazy when he finds out that his baby's found her sex. So I guess maybe you can see it from an angle of like, oh no, like this girl grew boobs and now a bunch of like weirdo men are catcalling her on the street. But it's, oh, it's like a little, it's a little too... Maybe it's right, maybe it's not quite like Drake level grooming, but it's ugh, it's it's a grody song. It's a grody grody song. Not arguing that, not at all. Yeah, it's 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 icky. And uh, Neo, Neo, uh, you know, love Neo. Great video game. You know, it was like the samurai version of Dark Souls. But then Sekiro came out, and like uh, two people who are listening to this will get that joke. And you're welcome. Do you have anything to say about actual uh, singer Neo? Because I don't. The song was just boring. I love Neo. This song is underwhelming. Uh, this song just kind of bored me. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I've heard this song three or four times on this this experiment. Yeah, and you know, the thing about Neo is Neo is an incredible songwriter, and he would go on to write songs for Empire and wrote um, Irreplaceable for Beyonce. That is a good one. You know, Neo is an incredible songwriter, an incredible performer. He yeah. runs on a treadmill while singing his songs to perform to sing them live on stage while dancing he oh yeah you've told me about that but i didn't remember it was him that is that is really it cool. was amazing this is maybe not the best neo song and unfortunately i feel like you can replace sexy love with miss independent and you kind of wouldn't notice yeah it's it's i was just bored by this song uh, i got nothing out of it feel like i've heard it a couple times already yeah i, I think i think that's happened a lot in this kind of mid the between like i think every now between maybe like eight and 12 you're gonna get a song that's just like wait this wasn't already on here yeah part one's done we're on to rihanna next episode nico as alluded to early on this is coming out actually right before 
uh, August 1st. So what are your summer end of summer plans for all of the important, awesome, cool things that you do? Oh, geez. Let's see. Uh, you guys can check us out at FlameCon in Manhattan in August. You can check us out at NYCC in October. Wait, when in August? Uh, good question. Good question. You can check out the workshop for my show in October. Uh, I'll have more answers. FlameCon is August 17th to 18th. Oh, cool. I'll be there. You will. I'll be on Twitter making shit actually ever since i got diagnosed with depression i've been on twitter less and i think i've been getting better but you can still reach me at chris podcasts on twitter or the mailbag uh, now and again cast at gmail.com uh, i checked the email for the first time in like a year as i said i would on the last episode and was just just disappointed right in maybe or don't cool <laughs> uh we'll be back next time with some rihanna We'll be back with some country music. And with an awkward public breakup. We'll be back with a band that's named, I believe, after a butt. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. So until then, uh, we will catch you Flip a dip. on the flip side. Bring it back to me. Hit the players club for about a month or two. Put a tag on it, then see what it do. I found you. This new booty. Get it together and bring it back to me. Hit the players club for about a month or two. Put a tag on it, then see what it do. Under the sea. Get it right. Get it right. Under it the sea. Get it right. Get it right. Get it better. Get it right. 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 Get it